Chapter Three of the Fanatics. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Fanatics by Paul Lawrence Dunbar. Chapter Three Preparation. There were many other men in Dorbury no less stirred than was Bradford Waters over the events of the night and the news from Charleston Harbor. The next day saw meetings of the loyal citizens in every corner of the little town, which at last melted into one convention at the courthouse. Those who had no southern sympathies had been stung into action by the unwarranted rashness of the rioters, which brought the passions of the time so close to themselves. The one question was asked on all sides. How soon would the President call for troops to put down this insurrection? And even as they asked it, the men were organizing, recruiting, drilling, and forming companies to go to the front. The light guards, the local organization, donned their uniforms and paraded the streets. Already drums were heard on all sides, and the shrill cry of the fifes. In that portion of the town, where lived a number of wealthy southerners, there was the quiet and desolation of the grave. Their doors were barred, and their windows were shut. Even they could not have believed that it would come to this. But since it had come, it was too soon for them to readjust themselves to new conditions, too soon to go boldly over to the side of the south, or, changing all their traditions, come out for the North and the Union, which, in spite of all, they loved. So they kept silent, and the turmoil went on around them. The waves of excitement rolled to their very doors, receded, and surged up again. Through their closed blinds they heard the shouts of the men at the public meeting a few blocks away. They heard the tramping of feet as the forming companies moved up and down. The men knew that many of their employees were away, mingling with the crowds, and that work was being neglected, but they kept to their rooms and to their meditations. Ah, said one, it's a hard thing to make us choose between the old home and the old flag. We love both, which the better God only knows. The children came home from school and told how one of the teachers was preparing to go to war and it brought the situation up to their very faces. Those were indeed terrible times when preceptors left their desks for the battlefield. But still their hearts cried within them, What shall we do? In the afternoon of the day following the convention, Nanny Woods came over for a chat with Mary Waters. They were close friends, and as confidential as prospective sisters should be. Do you think they will fight? asked Nanny. The South? Yes, they will fight, I am sure of it. They have already shown what is in them. Father and Tom think it will be easy to subdue them, but I feel somehow that it will be a long struggle. But we shall whip them, cried the other girl, her eyes flashing. I don't know, I don't know. I wish we didn't have to try. Why, Mary, are you afraid? Oh, no, I'm not afraid, but there are those I love on both sides, and in the coming contest, whichever wins, I shall have my share of sorrow. Whichever wins? Why, you haven't a single friend in the South. I have no friend in the South now. Oh, you mean Rob Van Doren. 
Well, if he didn't think enough of me to be on my side, I'd send him about his business. A man who didn't have courage enough to hold to his own opinions wouldn't be a man I'd marry. A man who didn't have love enough to change his opinions to my side wouldn't be the man for me. Very well, Nanny, we can't agree. But we're not going to fall out, Mary. And Nanny threw her arms impulsively around her friend's neck. But, oh, I do long to see our boys march down there and show those rebels what we're made of. What do you think? Father says they claim that one of them can whip five Yankees, meaning us. Well, I'd like to see them try it. Spoken like a brave and loyal little woman, cried Tom, rushing in. Eavesdropping, said Nanny, coquettishly. But Mary turned her sad eyes upon him. I am no less loyal than Nanny, she said, and if the worst comes, I know where my allegiance lies, but, but, I wish it wasn't necessary, I wish it wasn't necessary to take sides. Never you mind, Mary, it's going to be all right, we'll whip them in a month or two. We, cried Nanny, oh, Tom, you're never going. Why, what should I be doing when men are at war? But will there be war? There is war. The South has fallen out of step, and we shall have to whip them back into line. But it won't be long, two or three months at most, and then all will be quiet again. It may not even mean bloodshed. I think a display of armed force will be sufficient to quell them. God grant it may be so. Tom turned and looked at his sister in an amused way. Oh, you needn't be afraid, Mary. Bob Van Dorn won't go. Copperheads only talk. They never fight. Ha! <laughs> Tom Waters, that's mean of you, Nanny exclaimed. And it's very little of you. For a day or two ago, Bob was your friend. She held Mary closer as she spoke, but Tom Waters was imbued with the madness that was in the air. What? he burst out. Bob Van Doren, my friend. I have no friend except the friends of the Union, I tell you, and mark my words, when the others of us march away, you'll find him skulking with the rest of his breed in the grass where all snakes lie. Bob Van Dorn is no coward, said Mary intensely, and when the time comes he will be found where his convictions lead, either boldly on the side of the Union or fighting for the cause which his honor chooses you. She broke down and burst into tears. "'Oh, dry up, Mary,' Tom said, with rough tenderness. "'I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. "'Rob's a good enough fellow. "'But, oh, I wish he was on our side. "'Don't cry, Mary. "'He's a first-rate fellow, and I'll be friends with him.' "'Tom, you go away,' cried Nanny. "'You're just like all men. "'A great big blundering—' "'Don't cry, Mary. "'Don't cry. "'Mind your own business, Tom Waters. "'Nobody wants you officiating around here.' You've put your foot in it, and if you get smart, Mary and I will both turn rebel. Take your arm away. A pretty rebel you'd make. I'd make a better rebel than you would a soldier. All right, I'll show you, and the young man went out and slammed the door behind him. Now you've hurt his feelings, said Mary, suddenly drying her tears. I don't care. It was all your fault, Mary Waters. Then they wept in each other's arms, because they were both so miserable. Just then, the negro known as Nigger Ed came running down the street. "'Laws, have mercy on us! Days hanging, Mr. Vlandaham!' 
The hearts of the two girls stood still with horror for the moment, and they clutched each other wildly, but the taint of Eve conquered, and they hurried to the door to get the news. "'Nigger Ed! Nigger Ed!' they called, and the colored man came breathlessly back to them. "'What did you say as you passed the house? They're hanging Mr. Vallandigham?' "'Yes, um, they's hangin' him up by de court-house. "'A whole crowd of men's a-hangin' him. "'Your father's among them, Missy,' he said, turning to Mary. "'My father helping to hang Vallandigham. "'Oh, what are we coming to? "'Isn't it a terrible thing? "'Why, it's murder!' "'Nanny called across to a friend "'who was passing on the other side of the street. "'Oh, Mr. Smith, can it be true that they are hanging Vallandigham?' "'The friend laughed.' "'Only in effigy,' he said. "'Get along with you, Ed,' said Nanny indignantly, "'running around here scaring a body to death. "'They're only hanging him in effigy.' "'Effigy, effigy, that's what they said. "'But it don't make no difference how a man's hung. "'That's so he's hung. "'Go along, you dunce. "'It's a stuffed valendigum they're hanging.' "'Stuffed!' cried Ed. "'I taught effigy meant his clothes.' Lord bless your soul, Missy, and me, breaking my neck, running from a stuffed corpse. I reckon I alarmed half the town. And Ed went on his way. And it's for those people our brothers and fathers are going to war? Oh, no, not at all, said Nanny. It's for the Union, and against states' rights, and, and everything like that. Those people are at the bottom of it all. I know it. I knew when that book by Mrs. Stowe came out. They're at the bottom of all this trouble. I wish they'd never been brought into this country. Why, how foolish you are, Mary. What on earth would the South have done without them? You don't suppose white people could work down in that hot country? White people will work down in that hot country, and they will fight down there, and, oh, my God, they will die down there. Mary, you cry now at the least thing. I believe you're getting a touch of hysteria. "'If you say so, I'll burn some feathers under your nose. "'It isn't hysterics, Nanny, unless the whole spirit of the times is hysterical. "'But it is hard to see families that have known and loved each other for so long "'suddenly torn asunder by these dissensions. "'But the women folks needn't be separated. "'They can go on loving each other just the same. "'No, the women must and will follow their natural masters.' It only remains for them to choose which shall be their masters, the men at home or those whom they love outside. Well, with most of us, that will be an easy matter, for our lovers and the folks at home agree. Forgive me, Mary, I mean no reflection upon you, and I am sorry. We are not all so fortunate, but however it comes, our women's hearts will bear the burdens. The men will get the glory, and we shall have the grief." "'Hooray!' Tom's voice floated in from the street, and he swung in at the gate, singing gaily, his cap in his hand. "'Oh, what is it, Tom?' cried Nanny. "'What's the news?' "'The bulletin says it is more than likely that the President will call for volunteers tomorrow, and I'm going to be the first lieutenant in the company if the light guards go as a body.' "'Oh, my poor brother! Poor nothing! Boom, boom! Tarara, boom! Forward, march!' and Tom tramped about the room in an excess of youthful enthusiasm. He was still parading, much to Nanny's pride and delight, when his father entered and stood looking at him. His eyes were swollen and dark, and there were lines of pain about his mouth. 
"'Ah, Tom,' he said presently, "'there'll be something more than marching to do. "'I had expected to go along with you, "'but they tell me I'm too old, "'and so I must be denied the honour of going to the front. "'But if you go, my son, "'I want your eyes to be open to the fact "'that you are going down there for no child's play. "'It will be full-grown men's work. "'There will be uniforms and shining equipments, "'but there will be shot and shell as well.' You go down there to make yourself a target for rebel bullets and a mark for southern fevers. There will be the screaming of fifes, but there will also be the whistling of shot. The flag that we love will float above you, but over all will hover the dark wings of death. Oh, father, father, cried Mary. It is a terrible business, daughter. Tom had stood silent in the middle of the floor while his father was speaking and now he drew up his shoulders and answered, "'Don't be afraid of me, father. I understand it all. If I go to the war, I shall expect to meet and endure all that the war will bring. Hardships, maybe worse. I'm not going for fun, and I don't think you'll ever have reason to be ashamed of me.' Mary flung herself on her father's breast and clung to him as if fearful that he also might be taken from her but Nanny, with burning face, ran across and placed her hand in Tom's. "'That's right, Tom, and I'm not afraid for you.' The young man put his hand tenderly upon the girl's head and smiled down into her face. "'You're a brave little woman, Nanny,' he said. The deep menace of the approaching contest seemed to have subdued them all. "'I'm not afraid for my son's honor," said Bradford Waters proudly. "'But we must all remember that war brings more tears than smiles, "'and makes more widows than wives.' "'We know that,' said Nanny. "'But we women will play our part at home and be brave, won't we, Mary?' The girl could not answer, but she raised her head from her father's shoulder and gripped her brother's hand tightly. It was strange talk and a strange scene for these self-contained people who thought so little of their emotions, but their very fervor gave a melodramatic touch to all they did that at another time must have appeared ridiculous. End of chapter 3